0: Welcome to Gold and Gray, I'm Josh. A little heads up, today's episode has some uncensored language, so hide your kids, pop on the old headphones or whatever you gotta do. Today, we've got an unfiltered conversation between Long and his friend, artist and educator, Abdulli. They cover the importance of education, the black origins of techno music, building and participating in more inclusive communities, and. What a more active form of solidarity can and should look like for Asian Americans with the Black community. A little note, this conversation was recorded before the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and the protests in Rochester that rose up over the death of Daniel Prude, but unfortunately remains just as, if not more, relevant. Here's Long and Abdulie.
1: How you doing today, Abdulie? I'm fine. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Just
1: hanging out, chilling. Can you tell your story of what do you do professionally and creatively?
2: Professionally, I work in education and more specifically, currently I'm doing after school education. My position is that I help manage our elementary school programs for our are like after-school elementary school programs in the Richmond District, San Francisco. But like specifically, I'm the service-learning coordinator. So like my like topic that I would usually bring to students is just like essentially environmental um, service project. And service-learning is like it's a hands-on thing, and it's pr- it's pretty much project-based learning. And we put it into the lens is like how can we be better stewards for our community, and this is like by being like environmental stewards, we're not only helping ourselves but we're helping the greater community every little positive environmental work is beneficial so like it could be anything from like beautification projects to composting to just like creating things cleaning ups drawing plans just anything that's just like helping the greater community so that's kind of like okay. what my scope is just environmental work with um elementary kids and i got into that because i went to school for environmental studies like albany area i think i I declared as a business major going in. I just did that because it was just like, you know, I'm like, he just like, it was like one of those things. It was, like go to college and like study business. And like my brother went to school college. Yes, yeah, so my brother was kind of like one of the first to like graduate with a degree. But then I was like the first to like really go away and go to like a four year school and like you know what I mean, that whole entire thing. Be a business major and made a lot of money and I was just like I don't even know what the business of is so first I switched right to biology and like science and history were kind of my best my best subjects so yeah I went to bio um there was a lot of creative um energy I would say like I was always like kind of like a naturally creative person but I think like doing this kind of work in education it made me like realize how to like really like Organize my creativity. Can you tell me uh,
1: why you chose San Francisco out of all places once you got that degree?
2: Yeah, honestly, I remember it was freshman year of college. I, like, I remember it so vividly. Uh, mm-hmm. It was like I was outside my freshman dorm. I was just like, yo, when, I, when I'm when i done with college, I'm going to move to the Bay Area and grow weed. Like That's just what I said because I saw somebody on Twitter. Like, <laughs> yeah, he lived in the Bay Area and he grew weed. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Uh,
1: yeah.
2: But... It, it honestly, didn't even happen. Like the way it happened was that my last semester of college, I was like on the career site, and then I applied. Mm-hmm. It was, like there was this one job, it was like innovative summer camp, blah, blah blah. So I applied to it, and it was based in San Jose. So I was like, oh, that's okay. cool. I was like, I can just go see what's up, like check out San Jose. And I was like, that's kind of that's in the Bay Area. That's kind of close to the city. And I was like, that can give me enough time to fi- find something out in the city. And this was around like two thousand. Where, it was, like, around 2015. This was, like, when, like, the Bay Area was at its peak in terms of, like, like rent and, like, everybody was coming here.
1: Because when I met you, I mean, at that time, I was moving out left and right, right? So, I yeah. better, like, we just saw each other and saw you at the gym, said, what's up, whatever. Like, how many times have you moved in San Francisco? Me, three. Three, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, in that period when you moved here, like, 20, when was it again? 2015? Yeah. Yeah, that was like height of like freaking gentrification. Yeah, tech and
2: you were. I mean, the reason why I had to move out my first place was because it got bought out and they were kicking us out. You know, and yeah, pretty much I got forced out of that spot, the first spot I ever moved into in San Francisco.
1: Yeah, I feel like when you had your perception of like the Bay when you just wanted to move there for so long, and then we got in, it's like, oh, this is a different beast.
2: Well, honestly. I would say, when I got, like, I was saying, like, well, I never really wanted to move to the bank because I never really thought I was going to, and just when it happened, it did. Yeah. Um, so, like, and I really knew nothing about, like, San Francisco. to me so just, But, like, I just, you know what I mean? I was just like, fuck it. Like, it was at that point, like, I had the opportunity. Like, I secured a job. I was yeah. that's, like, that's clearly all that you need. Like, and I remember, like, it was so funny because there was this one professor George Rapp. He was a realist professor, some white. Dude, and, like, he was not, like, he was that white professor who told him, like, 'Cause um I was a part of a program like um, that helped that like where I pretty much got all my funding for school, but and that helped a lot of like students of color from like the tri state area, like the, the New York City in my area. So it was a lot of the, like black and Latino students from New York. So like we we're all a part of the program. This is one way, like, you know, he just told us he told us straight up. He was like, the school's fucking racist, you all get your degree and you fucking like you know what I mean, like He's like, just make sure you like, stay the fuck out of trouble. Like, this is it. You guys made it. Just keep it up. Get this piece of paper and fuck off. But I remember, like, you know, when I was like, oh, fuck, I got the job and moved to San Francisco. Everybody I talked to was like, oh, it's expensive, blah, blah, this and that. I'm like, well, like, like, you know what I mean? It was like, everyone was kind of doubting it. Now, like, if I would be able to do it, especially since, like, the job I was taking was AmeriCorps, I wasn't going to get paid a lot. I was like, I'm going to figure it out, whatever. I was like, I'm, I'm getting paid more, like, and my mom. And that professor, Hughes is like, yo, dude, he was like, you got your first job. He's like, once you got a job, you will always have a job. So you went
1: through a school that had a diverse group, right? And so they <laughs> had that lens of like, making sure that you had a leg up. What prepared you about for San Francisco? And what didn't prepare you for San Francisco? Because, you know, there's always this ongoing discussion how progressive san francisco is but then like also how not
2: diverse it is i'll say it's right now from elementary through high school through college if there's one thing that like that failed me and i think that failed millions of other like black um, kids and just like other students of color it's just the understanding finances managing finances budgeting what like all those things if i know, no if I would have known that moving into San Francisco, then I feel like I mean I still wouldn't like I still wouldn't be like you know what I mean like a millionaire or anything. But it would just like it would just have made me put like a leg up in terms of like this is like all the stuff that I might I realized, like three or four years in. Like you know what I mean. So it's just like oh if I would have taken this route or if I would have put this money here or if I would have opened an account here blah uh, this and that by now when I'm like when I'm starting to do these things, I've already really seen, like, a bigger result or something like that.
1: Also, with a freaking, like, disadvantage of, like, how crazy expensive rent is, right? Yeah, like, exactly.
2: Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, what does that really look like? It's like, what? how much should that be paying for? Like, how do what, like, it just things like, like, what are housing rights? Like, you know what I mean? These things that you, like, I remember my first year here at, at How to File Taxes which essentially messed me up the first time because my mom also, like, claimed me for a while or whatever, but I ended up having to pay, like, $1,100 in, like, taxes. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I would say, like, I guess the economics course. The, if, if there's an yeah. economics course I took in college actually made me understand what, like, because I was still able to, like, figure it out because, I mean, before I moved here, like, I was, cr- like, when I was planning to move to San Francisco, I was crunching numbers. I was just like, okay, this is how much I'm, I'm going to be making blah, blah, blah. So it's like I did be able to understand how to, like, manage that but just like the little nitty degrees, like things like stocks and accounts and like credit and yeah investments like all those like things that even though like at when i first moved here at 22 i wouldn't even have had the resources to um even start any of those things but it's just like you know i mean at least i i would have had a better insight you know
1: yeah that's like another thing of privilege that people have they don't see right coming in san francisco where like you have a leg up of like someone can front your first and last month rent right so like i mean at the time i would say like a bedroom was costing two thousand dollars and that's not even including like first and last month's rent and like a down deposit for like cleaning that's like a good five or six you know can go up to like six or seven thousand dollars and like you know if you can't front that and then like and then like the diverse like the the difference of like tech jobs to have like 401ks to you know Someone that's teaching, like you, teaching kids, but then, like, they don't offer that. It's, like, such a, you know, disparity, right?
2: Yeah, it's so, it's so lack. Especially, yeah, like, now, like, it's better just because, like, I have, like, a better job. So, it's, like, I am a little bit more protected, but, like...
1: I mean, those are some of the things that people don't understand, like, when you're coming in from another city of, like, these... The just to see of San Francisco. Knowing someone that lived here, like, did you even know anyone that lived here? Like, no. you know, some people that can move here, they like have a, a friend of a friend that owns a house, and who can own oh, a house yeah, at this point, definitely. right?
2: Like, so many people that I knew, coming in when I came here, they're like, oh yeah, I'm saying but, like this person, blah, blah blah, this and that. Like, they had some kind of connection there, or some kind of like help, and it's just like that. Like, that's what makes it hard. And it's just like, all those people were white. Like, I didn't have any. Like, it, it it just, it was definitely just easier for other
1: people. Yeah, and also, too, like, just just throw it out there, too, like, and then the stigma, too, is, like, of oh, you as a black dude, like, crashing someone's couch, right? You don't want to go, that's just inherited things that people don't think about. Like, oh, why don't you just crash in someone's house and da-da-da, like, but they don't have that in their head, right?
2: Yeah, it's just, like, it's not that easy.
1: But, yeah, so now that you're kind of accomplished, now you have housing... Like, how long did it really take for you to get, like, comfortable of, like, feeling okay, you live here now, this is your city?
2: I'm just about to hit five years, and I'm going to say that, like, it didn't take until, like, three, it didn't take until, like, my third or third and a half, four years in, and I'm still not really even that comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I feel like also the everybody, if you're living in San Francisco in the Bay Area, everyone's all kind of, like, on this baseline verge of being homeless, but you know i mean i wasn't especially during that time where it was like it was not expected that you were living in the place for almost for more than a
1: year. and like how long did it take you to find a community because like for me that's like i didn't get like kind of proper housing until i had a community you know but that took like a that took (sighs) working at a gym talking to hundreds and hundreds of people every month that come in the gym and then like you know I, i had to like you know find a cheat code to like talk to you know, hundreds of people per month to get somewhere like that where, you know, some people has access and like, you know, people don't realize how important is community. So for you, like how essential was community and how long did it take to build that?
2: I would obviously it took up into just about like now four or five, like almost five years, four years where I feel comfortable. Like now it's like I can go on like my Facebook and I can go um, into my social media and connect with friends, and like yeah, and now I see like friends of friends, friends who are have spaces that are open that they're like, hey, like there's this like here's this like sweet spot with a nice community, like really affordable, and I'm only like offering it up to you people first, so, like and like it's even like yeah, about four years, even like moving into this one, which is like a friend of a friend. So was, like that's really where you find and get like the safe and good gems, is because like somebody in your community, somebody in your friends has an open spot and they offer it to like, you know what I mean? To like, maybe, yeah, they have a hundred people on their friends, like not a hundred, but a couple hundred people on their friends list, but how many are actually looking for housing? Only like two or three people might be interested in this. it. So it's like, there's a really, you have, when you see something like that, especially when you need it, you have a good chance of getting it, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Until I was like, most of the time, just like, just going and trying to find a community. Most of the time, I was just like, I, I, all the time in my first few years living here, I was just like, I feel like I would have more friends if I wasn't black. I feel like it would be easy for me to connect to people, and I remember talking to you about that when I first moved here in person. I was just like if I was white, I would be in a like you know what I mean it's just like and 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 I think those are things that sometimes like people don't understand it's just like like again with like the ancestral especially as i can speak from as a black man, the ancestral trauma that you that you use like that you will that you carry with you is just that like you know social groups like. Like, as much as, like, and I'm an extroverted person, like, I love socializing with people, but it's just, like, if you don't, if you personally, especially if you don't look like me, if you don't invite me to hang out with you, I'm I'm probably not, like, you know what I mean? I'm probably not going to, like, hang out with you. Like, you know what I mean? And... You, and, like, sometimes it's, like, we do have to use that, like, m- in whichever, like, social structure that we are, and we notice that if we are, like, a dominant um, culture that we, like, we ha- we really have to be inviting to the minorities there because you, do, like, you, you like, what, like be inviting to the minority because if you get turned down, it's way less embarrassing if you get turned down in front of your friends or or the people who look like you than if I ask, like, somebody to hang out and I'm the minority and you turn me down. Like You know what, I mean? you know what I'm trying to say?
1: Yeah, you know, like, one of the things I try to explain to someone, like, why is it so important, like, socially, because, like, half these fools get job referrals from friends that are yeah. at a bar, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, and also, like, oh, yeah, my friend – needs a roommate yeah. like do you want to move in too it's just like yeah literally not getting invited to these like social spaces like you can't get these leg ups of like moving in you know like yeah i think that's the the hard part i think about how far we gone with diversity yeah we have these like diversity courses in school and class but then like socially are you actually inviting these people in these spaces and then like it's like, oh, I didn't think of Dooley like rock music. It's like, well, did you ask him?
2: Yeah, just ask. Like, maybe it's like, maybe he's not there for the rock music, but maybe he just needs to be with people. You know what I mean? You just don't know. Um, that's why it's funny, because like, when I would go out, especially like, when it was black people, like, when me and another black person say, saw each other, it was like, oh, shit, like, you know, what I mean, we made the point of the to go and connect with each other. Because we're like, oh, shit, we're the only people out here. Like, let's, like, you know, let's say what's up or stay connected. Yeah. Um, So it's easier like that, but it's like, you know, I mean, like people have to understand it's just like, it could be easy as this. Every day at like three o'clock in the afternoon, or every time you're in a social situation, take the time to just pause and like, just literally move your head around and look at the people around you. Just analyze your space. Who's around you? Like, how many people here appear to be like male? How many people here appear to be femme? Like, how many people here are black? Like, you know what I mean? And just start to assess your social situations and then from then on fix it or add to it. So and what you have to do is just invite or open it up. It's just open it up. That's just the thing. Just inherently inviting more people of color or black people into these spaces, they would bring their culture in, and they would start to mix it. Like, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it, it just needs to be opened up.
1: Yeah. And these are conversations that, these are conversations that should be going on. And then like fast forward to now, like, uh, in COVID and now we're recognizing blue brutality as a, as a hashtag. And I'm just going to say, it's like you and me, we, we've talked about like the good things about being a minority and POC and all those like catchphrases, but it's like, it's exhausting. Right. So now like people are noticing and stuff. It's like, listeners don't understand like, this is how we talk all the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that gets tired. We get tired of talking like this too. Sometimes Mm -hmm. like, dude, we just want to have some like pizza and like listen like, some techno music but Mm. this is the conversations go and so now this is the conversations going on on the internet right and like online or spaces and Mm -hmm. stuff yeah it's just like hard to take in at least for me and i'm not even african-american you know like it's just like it's must be tough for you and that's why i kind of bring in your space of like how do we continue this conversation without having someone die for it and we have this you know discussion right
2: yeah that's the, I think that's the hard part just because they're, because of like the whole entire COVID situation that like social spaces are closed down. And right now I think there's a lot of like, we really are hitting a few like institution and structural things. that are kind of getting into the works in terms of adjusting systemic racism, but there is still like the interpersonal and the relationships, you know what I mean? And at the end of the day, yeah, all these structural things can happen, but it's just like, you have, we have to see racism and discrimination on these things as an organism, right? That can, like, a, a cell that can kind of, like, split. While this, like, social distancing thing is going on, and, like, we're all, like, oh my god, like, this and that, this and that, like, okay, how do we find this? There are also, like, white supremacists who are still, like, you know what I mean, growing this organism. And yeah, yeah. the only way we can really start to, and like, there's their, there's their kids and like, you know what I mean? And they're, they're, they're growing it and within their children, those things and like, at the end of the day, that whole entire generation of people are eventually going to get older, get into office and start and and do this and start to push back on this agenda. You know what I mean?
1: You bring up a good point because people think like it's just a generation thing of old thinking. It's like, but no, you you phrase it as like. This is a living ideology that will morph and continue, just like a virus, right? Yeah.
2: Why do you think education doesn't have that much funding? And why do you think that the people who can afford to put their children in specialized education tend to be white? So it's like you can totally like you know what I mean? So it's just like it's just to make sure that keep this thing growing in a certain way. And it's just like if people like you know, I mean I can, I can see this because like I've been, I work with children. I've been working with children for the five years and you know, what I mean, I see them start to pick up on these things. Like, you know, um, fucking when Donald Trump got elected in elementary school. Oh my god, dude! A fucking this white kid, he fucking wrote, he wrote "fuck niggers" on the bench, and Jesus, like, I di- I didn't like. I was the one who ended up seeing it, right? But I when, like, you know, it was fucked up when like. There was even other white kids who saw it, and they were like, "Fuck, like you know what I mean." They were like, "That's fucked up, like." And they called me over to like, "Yo, somebody wrote this, like we got, like you know what I mean." And like they felt, yeah. I was just like, I was just like, "Look, you got like little, you got first of all, this is the, yeah, he was in fifth grade, but you got kids, third graders, you know what I mean. So like, they know what all this shit is. They know what they're doing. And the, like the custodian, he saw it, he was this Latino dude. He got he, he, was his like, you know what I mean. He's always he was just even like, what. Like, that's fucked up. You know what I mean? He got rid of it the right way. And at the other day, the kid only, like, he lost recess I was like, okay, what? the he has an apology letter to me. I was just like, it wasn't directed was like, direct to me. I was just like, why is he apologizing to me? I was like, this kid needs, like, to be, like, he, he needs to be suspended. Like, yeah. but whatever, you know?
1: And that's also something, like, to cross-analyze. It's like, again, like, the narrative, like, how racism is taught. It's like, oh, the parents, you know, taught him until he has races. But also, too, is, like, there's so many other structural things of, like, how easy that word is thrown around online. Mm-hmm. And, like, you go – if you. this is why I, I – I'm actually an older generation. You know why I don't play, like, multiplayer games online? Because mm-hmm. there's always they, trolls that just drop the N-word. Yeah. Or say something just to, like, be offensive, right? mm
2: mm-hmm. You just think it's – I don't know if they just think it's cool or they just or they just I mean they're just they're just actually, they they just need to exercise. They're exercising their ignorance. And and that's the thing, when we don't have when we don't have social gatherings, when we don't have community spaces that we can do formally or informally either like will, like like that, especially with shelter in places giving okay, us mind you, yeah, shelter in places for a public health issue, like you know I mean, like we can we can really put socializing on hold to make sure that we live that's fine yeah but like we are still not creating those spaces where we can start to do work on the interpersonal level and that's how we really stop like you know what i mean that's like at the end of the day that's how like we really that's how we sustainably stop this thing and and, and it's all like it's all cycles like everything feeds into another thing like you know i mean like addressing police brutality Will help hopefully get some other social services up, this and that. But it's like you know, I mean, we still have to go through like education, this and all this other things. But every time we, I guess you could say, address one part of the system, it does make it does it does do a little bit of work on the other parts for sure.
1: Yeah, but I think like what's good about socially that's like exercise in a way that can become natural, right? Like I think for me. I hate the diversity talk because we always do it so academically. We always do Zoom calls. We do some sort of, like, segmented part, but, like, we think about it, but then we don't go and exercise it. It's kind of like learning Spanish. You learn in a classroom, but then instead of absorbing yourself in it, you go to, like – or it's not like you move to Mexico and just absorb it, right?
2: The point is – that it's like the diversity talks, like you can't look at it's like, all right, like you go to these diversity talks and you expect like a flowchart and the study guide, and like you push the buttons into your phone, then like racism is fixed. like it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't happen like that. Like, yeah, you know I mean, essentially, what it's supposed to do is that it's supposed to make you like because the idea is that a lot of people don't address a lot of the social situations that have to do with race because it makes them uncomfortable. But the point is is that like duh, like you know, what I mean, imagine the people that it affects. So a lot of these talks are supposed to equip you with the tools to equip you with the tools to be able to talk about these things and understand, like, you know what I mean? It's almost kind of like being, you know what I mean? Being like a social worker and somebody's having, like, a mental breakdown. Like, you know what I mean? There's a certain way that, yeah. you, like, you know what I mean? You understand, like, what how to approach somebody who has, like, trauma. So it's like, you might understand, about uh, understanding, it's like, you know what I mean? That diversity talk, like, the next time you see um, a Black person on the street that's, like, yelling or something like that, or... That like because it's a mental disability or they're stealing you're not just doing it because they're bad like now you now you probably understand like that person's probably stealing because they are fortunately put in a way up a position that puts them there like you know what i mean that's one of the things that it starts to get you to think about and then that also should equip you to be able to like talk um to people about it but at the end of the day it does nothing unless you intentionally put yourself in the spaces that allow you to do that you know what i mean you can be equipped with all these things but if you're still just hanging out with like your 10 friends who look like you at the same places every day and you know what i mean and you're not you're just not exposing yourself to any of these groups of people because you know especially if you're from a place of privilege where you have the chance to isolate yourself um from these communities then it's not you're it's just never gonna happen it's never gonna happen
1: Yeah, it's like place of privilege and then also the discomfort. I think, you know, it's the the cliche of like millennials are so flaky, they only go within their neighborhood, stuff like that, too. It's like, I think that the, like, between the two, it's just like people are not understanding and being humbled by their privilege they have, and they don't just spend the extra 20 minutes to go to like a business owned by, you know, a, um, person of color within the community are queer right it's mm-hmm. like people don't that's one thing i hate about like bay area and like our technology we have connections to so many things and we have lyft and uber and stuff but like we don't use any of that stuff to actually go out to neighborhoods that like have delicious food or have mm-hmm. like awesome nightclub music and stuff and we don't yeah. go out there we still go in the proximity of like the closest where the where the you know assimilated people look like.
2: It's true. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, we kind of don't have things excuse we do have access to a lot of these things. We just don't choose. So it's like, and whether, and I don't think we subcon. like, I don't think we consciously don't choose, but it's like, yeah, I could, like, it shouldn't be that big of a hassle to, like, be there for other people. You're going to have to make sacrifices, period. Like, you know what I mean? And if that means, like, say, take it from the Bay Area, for instance, that, like, you're taking in the BART once or twice a week so that you can go like dine in at a restaurant that's black owned and do it. Like, you know what I mean? If you have to even like, I know it sounds kind of radical, but like, you know, accept a lower paying job so that you can work with a community um, that's different for you so you can understand about it. Like then maybe you have to do that. Right. So (laughs) it just ends up taking those sacrifices that, yeah, it's like almost like that minor inconvenience, like oh, like you know what I mean. But it's just like it makes the biggest difference when we do
1: take because we're we're giving back to the community, right? That's the mm-hmm. hard part. I think San Francisco gets so much shit. It's just like it's very individual thinking and just only just doing like what's within proximity. Mm. But then also like people that can afford a certain level of rent and a lifestyle of living, they all live together and you create mm-hmm. much more like you know. A separation of class here. Right? Yeah. And it and then so it's just like makes it hard for for you know, people of color and even for Asian Americans. Like I'm gonna just say this right now, like we were talking about this earlier, like in the Bay Area, yes we have a lot of Asian people, but then also too, it's just like these are people here a couple generations that own a house and so they can mm-hmm. actually like be risky and actually get that low paying job. That, mm-hmm. Because they can just go back to your grandparents' place and live like yeah. that and start businesses. But then you you solely have this colorblindness of like not seeing like looking out for people or people like us. Like, you know, we're not having those um those uh whatchamacallit, leg ups, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember a professor that would talk about it, it's like eggs in the basket, like like you know, I mean the baskets of privilege or something like that. And so like at the end of the day you still have like more eggs in your basket you can like even if you give up that one egg of a higher paying job you're still gonna have more eggs than people that you're more privileged with. you know what i mean
1: but yeah back to the community though know, like freaking you know who you hang with like what type of music you listen to yeah and the, like the irony is like you know like rap is the most like one of the most influential pieces of art and unfortunately that's the only exposure that a lot of Bay Area slash white, mostly white people and Asian people have to to African Americans, right? Yeah. And that's a problem if you only see African Americans as the Warriors or the rap music, right?
2: Oh, yeah. And, oh, my God. Like, I just don't even know how to say it. Like, there's no other way for me to say it other than, like, I noticed it when I first moved here. Like, the Bay Area, like, I mean, I have love for everybody. I'm like, I mean, like, it's just it's beautiful here, but it's just like, Yeah, the Asian community was so apparent that they just like really jocked on black culture without like standing for it. And it was cool and all, but like, it was hard to, I would say as a black person, it was hard to like, yeah, I mean, really like talk about those kind of things because it's like, you know, understanding is like, no, but like this group is, this community does face their own like set of discrimination. Mm -hmm. But you know what I mean? I think like in recent news, like especially with like this like with the uh, with George Floyd and just like that you know the image of like the Asian man um, standing next to George Floyd dying like it's such a powerful image because like honestly that's just something like if anybody was surprised like again as a black person I'm not necessarily surprised because um, like the stuff we just face so much microaggressions from like Asian groups. It's just, like, you know I mean? it's just easier to kind of just like brush it off because it's just like whatever is usually like older and stuff like that. But sometimes you even just see it in like the younger groups because like you know what I mean, it's just like there's no excuse, especially if you're like a younger Bay younger person, a younger person living in the Bay Area who identifies with being Asian, like your proximity to um, other cultures is there. You have access to it. And if you're not intentionally accessing it then it's like you're just contributing it to the problem um and that's just what happened and like it's, it's just definitely i think now we just finally get like now it's just been like exploited and people can talk about but it's just like it's just always been something that i definitely that like the people of the black community have definitely and even like people of the asian community have even identified but it's just like it wasn't really a lot it wasn't really widely talked about and now i think now more and more people are getting on the same page which i think is great because it's like it's one of those things Is like look like you know, I mean, we're all against the white structure. And the only way, the way we're going to be able to bring it down is, like, if we are literally working together. And it's, like, the Asian community, Asian American community being so large was just kind of siloed off. And at one point, it's, like, understandable. And, like, yeah, you know I mean? I understand there's, like, a lot of, like, family trauma there and, like, cultural trauma there as to why, like, they really stay close. But at, at one point, at a point where it's just, like, you've, you've created, uh, not created, but, like, you know what I mean? You're at the, like, you are benefiting from this white proximity and you have this, like, level of privilege that, like, you could, that you, it just wasn't being used at all to benefit any other groups. And, yeah, I, I honest like, honestly, I think, I personally almost do think that, like, <laughs> The power really does lie in the Asian American community because they're really like, in terms of just like when you look at like race and we start to look at the levels of like classism and races, like they really are the only groups of people who can stand this, like really understand the stand this all there, at least when it's specifically more like the East Asian communities, to be honest. Like, because you know, I mean, those are, those are usually the ones that are like minority model. Like, I mean, like literally, like we're put there so that, like like, you know, what I mean, like. <laughs> Chinese Americans, Asian Americans literally were allowed to be at a public privilege to literally to literally invalidate black oppression. They were like, no, look, a different group of people can do it, so everybody else can't. So like literally you being where you are in this in the system is to further oppress black people that's like if it wasn't if it wasn't for like people just wanting just for people just ultimately hating black people the most you you wouldn't be where you are and you would like honestly in terms of like socioeconomic status would just be lower and this is not like again this like it's it's like it's weird in racism and there's still a lot of shit in.
1: to break it down like easier right it's like we were talking about this earlier mm-hmm. if we were to compare like, African-American culture and just, like, their lives and as, like, a food, right? Because Asian-Americans yeah. get really pissed off if we put an avocado in, like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: ramen, right? Yeah. But, like, so we stop that of, like, don't do that, but then we don't go farther and be, like, how many Asian restaurants are owned by, like, people of color? Like, mm-hmm. how much, like, do they have control of that? Like, can they, you know... Are we giving them the space to grow as a business, you know? Mm -hmm. And we don't think beyond that too. And I think that's the hard part of like seeing, you know, on the surface, like, oh, okay. Like don't say the N word or, Mm -hmm. you know, don't, Asian people don't wear like baggy clothes and like without knowing where the history is. But then we don't really go farther to be like, are we going to, like you've been saying earlier, like business owned by, you know, Asian Americans, Latinos, African Americans, like that, going even more further into like the economics of it, right? And Mm -hmm. just engulfing yourself more into that. And that's the problem, I think, like, people are still having is to learn how to talk about this. But, you know, for me, like, I've been around, I've been your friend for like, six or seven years i can just call you black you don't get nervous but i mm-hmm. feel like a lot of times people don't even know like well they get too caught up in their heads like well should it be called african-american should it be called like all those like bylines or whatever of like what, what's the new one b-i-p-o-c
2: oh yeah black indigenous people of color
1: i think that's the hard part of like where we i think we moved the needle of like yes we talk about it in these kind of structures but then when it comes down to it like you don't talk to people like that right yeah
2: and people just need to understand just like you know i mean just like black is should just be used as like you said oh like that black person over there should just be used as a conformant description no other assumptions should be put under it like you know i mean and like there's nothing wrong with just like explain explaining like you know i mean it's like oh yeah somebody like you know even if i was like explain to you i be like oh yeah log he, he appears to be asian kind of has like a fair amount of like dark skin like you know i mean black hair so it's just like you know you can always say these things like even if it's somebody who's like biracial it's like oh yeah there's nothing racist about that that's fine like you just don't yeah. get too caught up on like being too political correct because then that's that's when you know there's like why like the job is like the point like at that like the end goal of systemic oppression is to make you feel uncomfortable to even mention other groups that aren't you. That's the point. Like, you know what I mean? This is, like, if we're, they're, like the fact that we don't even want to say black, that we don't even want to talk about it, that we don't even want to put it into, like, the audio sphere of our, like, conversation is, like, that's the point. Like, if we can't even say it, then how can we even start to fix it?
1: Exactly. And it's just, like, that itself has a history. It's, like, why you call black because, it's like, y'all – started it and so it's like you need to confront yourself and also you know i think that's the problem i think with this whole kind of like allyship and where this clashes, is is, you know we were always trying to find a quick solution and like Mm -hmm. you know like earlier i feel like liberal people say to get rid of racism don't talk about race and that's not the point right and so when people oh just don't say black word i see you as like a human you're like you're just ignoring issue it's like when someone gets sick it's like i don't just ignore them their sickness and it'll just go away like it has to be remedied right you don't just stop talking about it, and it goes away
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's like it's done as damage you know like when you when's like let's just say there's a hole in your roof right and it starts poking you don't just patch it up there's still gonna be water damage and mm-hmm. it's like years and years and years of like yeah water damage is done and you have to go and repair that. It's just, like, not just talking about it or just, like, reframing as another, like, word. It's yeah. like, and I feel like that conversation is just, like, gets focused on too
2: much where there's so many other things. And in order to, like, fix that water damage, you're probably gonna have to be under that, like, leaky water, which is gonna be really uncomfortable and that's just the point. Like, it's gonna be really, it's gonna be really, really uncomfortable. Like, all those things that you do, like, if you have to go into like a black restaurant or like, you know what I mean, just like you know, what I mean, just talking like if you go to a black restaurant and you see and just like talking to the employer, striking up the conversation, or just like you know, what I mean, inviting your friends to spaces or sort of becoming friends with somebody in your class, or like you know, what I mean just being positive. Make sure yeah. that's all genuine and it's like as as uncomfortable as gonna feel to be doing those things, is like if you're feeling uncomfortable. While you're doing something about it, then that's good. The uncomfortable is good. <laughs> like yeah, you know I mean, like and if it's not, like that's just the point. Like you have to feel uncomfortable.
1: You know, what's another shame too. What I I I see in San Francisco and the Bay Area is like we go to all these restaurants and stuff. But then, when's the last time you invited like these um uh, the staff to like hang out with you afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. And like that's such a another level too. It's just like, yeah, we go to these boba shops and all these things, and but like, do we? know them and do we hang out with them afterwards like they're they're serving us our food and our drinks and stuff and we don't even like bring them to our space of like where we are because you don't meet you meet we have like our degrees and stuff but like you know um so we we get invited in certain spaces because you know our jobs and stuff like that too but you know i feel like when i go to restaurants i still talk to the bartenders and stuff like that too and and, you know, I've been, you know, every once in a while I do invite them, but, like, I hardly know any friends that invite those kind of staff people.
2: Yeah, and it's, again, it's just that idea of trying to build the communities that you, like, it's easy to, it's easy to be, like, your easiest friends come to, like, what's accessible to
1: you. But think about it, they're still right there proximity because yeah. you're eating at these restaurants all the time. So it's, like, they're literally serving you food and, like if you see the same person, you are you inviting them? Like it's right there. Yeah. You know, that's where like the frustrating thing is like people are, are not doing that. I have my, my good friend, Bob, he, he, he's in higher income, but he actually does the work of like talking to the host and knowing their name mm-hmm. and then like tipping them a little bit more. And like, he'll like add them on Facebook and then send them birthday presents and stuff like that too. So he does his job. I learned that kind of like lens of like appreciating the work that goes to you because you know restaurants in a way like these people know how to cook better than you they know how to make drinks better than you like
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so like it's a privilege to be in this like business for you to do your work and so i've tried my best to like offer my hand of like hey do you want to go to barbecue but like that's i think that's the blindness that a lot of people don't see in san francisco like you are in proximity of yeah people but you don't invite them to your
2: house Mm -hmm. we are yep everybody's there but it's just that everyone's just like working their own concurrent like working concurrent from each other in their own but in their own bubbles which is like it just doesn't make any sense to me honestly yeah but now
1: like you and me were just talking about this and like it's gonna be interesting that once covid's over like how this conversation can move forward because i've already been hearing like a lot of people's jobs like now diving into all right, let's start this diversity training of these boom. Um, you know the website Bon Appetit. Yeah, I think so. You know they like had a full on like dissection of their company. Like their editor in chief got like fired. Oh really? They found him in brownface. He was dressed as a Puerto Rican like a decade ago. Oh shit. Yeah, he was dressed like a he was just like a Latin thug. Like it was not in good taste. Like you can tell. Like that's a whole another conversation of like wearing ethnicities as a costume. So the, they started digging up, like, oh, shoot, he's been underpaying a lot of the people of color. So they do these, like, videos of, like, cooking, right? hmm They always put her in, in the front as well. So there's always white people, and then she's, like, the token one. And, like, she found out that her white colleagues got paid for those videos. She didn't. Hmm. And so that's a whole nother layer of, like, all right, like, we're, like, it seems like every other industry is, like, going in and... Like people are now having the power. Like, okay, we're free from the stigma of the word black. Cool. Hey, guess what? This is what th- this company's been doing, right? So the power of actually now saying the word black is like, okay, it's empowering, right? So that's gonna be an interesting thing moving forward. Of like, you know, to see things in a positive light. It's like, all right, we're having a fresh start now. Like, of. Now the word black can be said in corporate settings, but then now it can be said in, in the art settings. Like, you know, like, yeah. no, like you're the one that actually taught me about like techno being black. You know, I don't listen to yeah. like EDM and techno, but like you did put that in front of like, that was a protest music.
2: Most black people don't know that. Most black people don't know that is black. Because most white people, you, know, you listen to that white people shit, I was just like, you have no idea. I'm like, this, I was like, fucking Jay Dilla and fucking Carl, Kru- they they all started this shit. This is all yeah. from them. And, and it's, it's young. It's only been around since, like, the, it's only been, I'm born 93, and it's like, I was in technology. I would say like, yeah, like, 85, right? But they really just started, like, kicking off in the 90s. So it's only freaking, it's only 30, 35 years old. <laughs> really. Yeah. Like, so it's just like, it got bath, it got fucking the black culture from it was deleted fast.
1: Yeah. And there's an NPR episode about that. There's this guy, like, he named himself, like, to sound pretty similar to like an African American name. And then, like, people just assumed that he was African American, but the, he never corrected it. I forget the name. It was an NPR episode, but then the guy never confronted it, so he was. People were just like, "Dude, you lied." You're like, "Well, I didn't say I was never black, but you like, you still wrote on it that you were black, and so it's like that's the problem." Again, yeah. it goes back to the silence, right? Yeah, yeah. You're not speaking out doesn't mean it's still wrong.
2: Yeah, like this is dude. His name is Motor City Drum Ensemble. When I first heard him, I thought he was black, and that song was this white kid from like New Zealand and Mobile City, City meaning Detroit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is that guy, yep. But so you would think it's a black group. It's a white kid from New Zealand. It's like, come the fuck. Man. Yeah. Dude, you can't, like, <laughs> like, like, especially since, like, all other, like, electronic groups that were, like, named after Detroit were all black. So it's just kind of like a slap. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Thank you so much,
1: uh, Julie, for being on our uh, podcast. Um, anything else you want to add?
2: Um, no, just thank you for giving me a chance to talk. It's always just good to, like, hear. I mean, just, like, kind of just, like, get some, like, air things out. And, like, right now, it's just, like, we're not in the time to just kind of, like, be comfortable. I mean, be comfortable. We have to be uncomfortable. And I some best intentions. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but, you know, we do have to challenge each other's beliefs sometimes. And just, like, right. Like, I'm always down to, like, talking and, like, sort these things out and, like, them or whatever.
1: Yeah, because I feel like... I don't want, I want to have uncomfortable conversations, but I don't want to have the same tired ones.
2: Yeah, 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 totally. So,
1: all right, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, no doubt.
0: For more resources on what to do next, or if you want to continue to educate yourself on what it means to be more actively anti-racist, you can visit our website at collabsf.org slash matter. Make sure to spell collab with a K. And if you have a story in your circle of friends or community that explores how family, cultural, and personal histories are shaping artistry and identity, thinking about how you are going back where you came from. You can send questions, comments, and episode ideas our way to goldandgreat at collaboration.org. Today's episode was produced by Long Vo and mixed and edited by Adrian Chen. Our associate producer is Michelle Abiera, our supervising producer is Long Vo, and our executive producer is Josh Ko. Our theme song was composed by Bobby Gu, and you can learn more about Bobby's work at bobbygemusic.com. I'm Josh, and we'll see you soon with more stories of the gold and great. Thanks for listening.